So lovely to be with you tonight. I'm Michael. Just going to set my watch so I know how long I've got. Um, just great to be with you. And one of the things I want to talk tonight about is the the power that's in the name of God, the power that's in the name of Yahweh. I'm married to the lovely Gillian on the front row. So we've been married for 39 years. And um, when you get out to our ripe old age, uh, Pastor Fraser Hardy says that we're to tell stories. So I'm going to tell a few stories tonight. So um, I hope you'll enjoy those. Pastor Sheridan's worried already, so that's a good sign. I want you just to close your eyes for a moment. No snoring, no nodding off, but just close your eyes. What was that? that? What you said as a teacher was good. What was it? Look up and look to heaven. Look up and look to heaven and close your eyes. Don't look to the left or the right. No poking anyone in the ribs. Now, when you think of the name of God, what comes to mind? Capture that picture, that thought, those words. Okay. Back with us, thank you, class. Is that what you say? <laughs> I've always wanted to do that. I'm never going to be a teacher, but you know, that was my big moment. So <laughs> that was it. <laughs> you know, what we think about God is probably the most significant thing in our lives. There's a quote here from A.W. Tozer that I hope, thanks to Joseph, will come onto the screen. And he says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I think that's true. I want to just say that uh, the inspiration for tonight's message really came out of reading John Mark Comer's book, God Has a Name. And so if you'd like to dig into this further, we've got some resources on the church website for these messages. Have a look in the details are there for you. But Mark Comer writes, often we believe, often what we believe about God says more about us than it does about God. Our theology is like a mirror to the soul and it shows us what is deep inside. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the concept of an unbearable feeling. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? An unbearable feeling would be something that just has more emotional intensity for you than it really should on the surface. And um, I've just recently started to learn to fly. I've wanted to learn to fly ever since I was four and I jumped off the Chook House roof and that didn't turn out too well. So it's been a bit of a journey. And um, so I, last week I got, to fly, um, I got to fly around the aerodrome. That was good, a circuit. So that was exciting, making progress. Still don't think I'd trust me to take the plane off the ground or land it on my own. But one of the things that we've been having to study has been aviation law, which is a bit of a stretch. And Gillian's saying to me, Michael, when your person gets to your advanced years and age, you need to be doing something to stimulate the brain. And, and she was suggesting jigsaws or she was suggesting, um, what's that? Oh, Scrabble. I said, Gillian, jigsaws or Scrabble won't do it for me, but I'm going to learn to fly. <laughs> so I was really tired when I came back this week after having to you know, do those circuits and get the plane up and down safely with, um, with the instructor at my side. And when I was doing that, and I've been struggling with this aviation law paper, I just had in my mind, the words came to my mind was, well, Michael, you got this yourself into this. You're just going to have to tough it out. And I thought, I wonder where those thoughts came from. And I thought to myself, and I thought, that's probably something that my dad would say. And that's like a, um, an unbearable feeling. It's not a major, but it just has a little bit more emotional intensity than it should. And I thought, what would my heavenly father say? And I reflected on that, and I felt that God would say to me, Michael, I love it when you learn new things. And I'm going to teach you more about me in this experience. 
And I think, you know, in our lives, it's important sometimes when those unbearable feelings come, they just have a bit more intensity, just to actually track down where they're coming from and to understand how our Heavenly Father sees us. I went on to think about, I could say then to Gillian that I need to go flying more often because I need to go flying so that God can reveal more of himself to me. I decided that was probably a little more of the flesh than of the spirit. I decided that wasn't going to fly at all, so we'll have to give that a miss. I want to take us to a scripture. I think this is a fascinating scripture in the Old Testament. It's Genesis chapter 34, and it's verses 5 to 7. Exodus, sorry. Thank you. Someone's watching the slides, because I'm not. (laughs) Uh, And this is a story of where Moses goes up Mount Sinai. If you're familiar with this passage of scripture, he goes up and he gets the Ten Commandments, and he comes down, and um, the Israelite people have had a bit of a collection. They've got all their gold together. They've thrown it into the fire, and out jumps, hey, presto, a golden calf. And Moses is so angry that he just smashes the Ten Commandments on the ground. So he has to chisel another set of tablets. And he goes up the mountain and God writes out, the hand of God writes out the Ten Commandments again. And in this context, there's this amazing passage of scripture. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. And he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh the Lord. I am the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children to the third and fourth generations. I really like the first bit, not quite so keen on the second bit, so we'll come to the second bit a little bit later on. We're looking at a series at the moment talking about the closeness of God. How do we grow closer to God in our relationship? And the real takeaway from tonight is you need a revelation of who God is to grow in intimacy with God. One of the things we do in our family on Valentine's Day is we buy one Valentine's Day card. Now, you could say that we're cheap. There might be a bit of truth in that. I mean, Valentine's Day cards are expensive, aren't they? Ten ninety-five, I think it was, for the last one. And I could have gone up to eleven ninety-five, but I thought, no, that's too much. Ten ninety-five, that's enough. And uh, the rules in our family are that anyone can write in at first, but if you're writing in second, you have to cover up what the first person said. Okay, so Gillian's written it first, that's normally what happens. And so I have to cover it up, no cheating, and then I can write in some words underneath. And then the great reveal, we sit down and read what we've written to one another. This must be working, we've been married 39 years, as I think I said, 40 years next year. And I've been amazed over those 39 years of how we've grown closer in our relationship together, how we know each other more intimately than we did when we first started. I remember the second night of our honeymoon, we went to the Oterra pub. You probably don't know where Oterra is. It's in the middle of Arthur's Pass. We wanted to stay in Arthur's Pass, but it was Easter weekend, and no one wanted to give us a motel room for one night. So we're in the Oterra pub, West Coast pub, Sunday night, trading as, you know, no such thing as after hours trading on the West Coast. So they're doing a roaring trade. And I remember coming down to breakfast the next day and newly married couple and we're kind of like shiny wedding rings so we're trying to hide those you know under the table or under the napkin or whatever and I'm saying to Gillian what do you have for breakfast and she says to me what do you have for breakfast (laughs) and you know it starts the journey starts off like that but you know we don't need to know what each other has for breakfast in fact it's just quite scaring if you've been married for a while and you actually find yourself answering or filling in the questions or the answers you know to other questions or sentences that your spouse has said And it's like that with God. 
It's a growing journey, and it's involving God in the mundane, the day-to-day things of life. It's involving him on the journey. God's interested in my flying because I've got a passion to fly, and, and so that's something that's important to me, so it's important to him. And the same will be true in your life, in those areas where you're sharing your journey with God. You see, God has a name, and names are important in the Bible. When Abraham, and when God comes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1, he says, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. And El was the name of Canaanite gods. And what Yahweh was really saying to um, Abraham in that passage of scripture was, I am the God who is above all other gods. I'd love you to go away with the confidence tonight that our God is above all other gods that you have an authority to actually take authority in the situations that you face. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later on. God appears to Moses in the burning bush. Have we got a burning bush? Hopefully we have. That's good. In Exodus chapter 3. And God says that he is the God of his fathers, the God of Isaac and of Jacob. God has heard the cries of his people being persecuted in Egypt. And God says to Moses he wants them to lead them out of Egypt. And Moses says, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask, what is your name? What should I tell them? You see, he was wanting to know, what authority do I come in? Who is it that I represent? Moses tried to wriggle out of it, didn't he? He said, you know, choose someone else. Just like when God chooses us, sometimes we do that. Well, I know I do. Jillian and I have often written half an A4 page of all the reasons we can't do what God wants us to do. Six months, we're doing what God wants us to do, <laughs> and all of the <laughs> objections are ticked off. And God replies with this fascinating scripture in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. God replies to Moses, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Another translation of the Hebrew would be, whatever I am, I will be. God is gracious. He's gracious all of the time. God is compassionate. He's compassionate all of the time. God is slow to anger. He's always slow to anger. We can have confidence in the character and nature of who God is. If you can have a revelation of that, it makes a huge difference on the journey through life. There's no facade. God is always true to his character. Now, when John comes to write his gospel, he captures some of this Old Testament imagery and he brings it into John chapter 1, verse 14. So the word became human and God made his home amongst us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. God made his home amongst us. John's talking about Yahweh, who was present in the tabernacle in the wilderness, has now come and made his home within us. You know, the Holy Spirit resides within us. Can you imagine what it would have been like to live between the Old Testament and the New Testament when when God wasn't speaking for three to four hundred years? But God lives within us by His Spirit. And when John says we have seen His glory, he's talking about the pillar of fire that led them, you know, by night and and the cloud that led them by day. And he says the glory of God that was in the wilderness is now resides with us. Didn't you feel something of the glory of God tonight as we worshipped? What a privilege that is. Friends, never take that for granted when we come together just to sense the wonder and the presence and the awesomeness of God. 
So John captures that in this prayer, and he goes on in John 17, 26 to say, I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. And I love the way the Message Bible translates the scripture, John 17, 26. I have made your very being known to them. Yahweh's very being known to us who you are and what you do, and I will continue to make it known so that your love for me might be in them exactly as I am in them. Mark Comer puts it like this in his book. He says, Jesus is the long-awaited human coming of Yahweh. The God on top of the mountain of, of Mount Sinai has now come and dwells in your midst. You know, God is a rational being and he's looking for relationship with you and me. And God is not wanting us to come perfectly. Because I don't know about you, but I can't come perfectly. I just have to come as I am. Can I encourage you tonight, don't fake it until you make it as a Christian. Because it's never going to happen. God knows us through and through. God wants us to come with the good, the bad, the ugly, the warts and the all, and come to him. And just strip ourselves bare before him. Prayer should be the time when we just reveal it, our anger, our frustration, our hurt. We just pour it out before God and connect with him and say, God, I'm a mess, but here I am. And allow God to meet us in the midst of our brokenness. That's the character and the nature of Yahweh. In Exodus chapter 33 and 11, we read that God will meet with Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. It's incredible, isn't it? That God would meet us face to face that God would call us friends. What a responsibility that we have been chosen to bring something of the culture of heaven from heaven to earth. We've been given authority to continue to expand God's work here on earth. You know, it's amazing that um, when we read this passage of scripture in Exodus, uh, Exodus chapter 32, verse 14, I mean, God was pretty ticked off with the Israelites. I mean, come on now, gold and a golden calf, when he's giving them, you know, the, the Ten Commandments so that they could be in relationship with him and relationship with one another. And God wanted to wipe them out. And if I was God, which is above my pay grade, fortunately, oh, that, that's it, they're out of here, you know. Just, I don't know, get rid of them and we'll start again. But there's this fascinating scripture because um, Moses stands in the gap and intercedes on their behalf. And we read in Exodus 32 and 14, so the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster that he had threatened to bring on his people. You know, God's not inflexible. You have the ability, I have the ability to change human history. As we stand in the gap for people, things are possible that weren't possible. We can bring something of heaven to earth. I don't understand the full theology of that. We need Pastor Simon for that, don't we? So, you know, did God know what was going to happen beforehand? Possibly. But we are not robots. God has not created you as robots. And sometimes I think we think about that as prayer. It disempowers us. We kind of think, well, it doesn't matter whether I pray or not because God's just decided what he's going to do. So he'll do what he wants to do. So why should I pray? And friends... That's not the way to pray. I love this quote from Dallas Willard, who says, God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend that he's answering our prayer when he's only doing what he wanted to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference to what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether or not we pray, haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer impossible replacing it with a dead ritual at best. And of course, God doesn't respond to this. You wouldn't either. Friends, when you pray, it makes a difference. It makes a difference not only for you, 
but it makes a difference for those who follow you. And God's given us that responsibility and that authority to pray. And we're going to do that in a moment or two. We're going to stand in the gap for some people tonight. When you realize that, when you get a revelation of that, it changes you on the inside. You know, it's not just Michael walking along doing his only thing, but God, I'm just looking for some divine appointments and trying not to step on this microphone. And, um, and when you get that divine appointment and you pray for that person, or someone's sick and you just get that prompting, I'm going to pray for that person to be healed, their lives could be changed forever. You know, Jesus met the woman at the well. Her life was changed forever. Jesus saw the woman coming and, and touching the gem of it hem of his garment and she'd had this issue of blood she'd been this bleeding for 12 years or whatever it was and in a moment she was healed and it changed her life it changed the life of the family that would follow her and friends when you and I stand in the gap and pray things change I need God to give you a revelation of that by his spirit you know I could jump up and down I could do some cartwheels. I'd probably be crippled the next day. But really what it needs is a revelation of the Holy Spirit, that God wants you to stand in the gap and to pray. And when you pray, you make a difference. I want us to um, pray tonight for people that we would like to see, just for a moment or two, for people that we would like to see come to faith in Christ. I want to pray for our daughter Catherine um, as we're doing that. Uh, Jillian and I, our daughter Catherine's, we adopted her at 10 days old. It's been a wild ride. We had our three years from hell with her from when she was 12 to when she was 14. And we've prayed out a lot of rubbish men out of her life. Why are there so many rubbish men in New Zealand? I don't know. Come on, guys. I don't know. I'll put it down to the circle she was mixing in. But it's been hard work. And the one that she's got now is great. He's a keeper. So, um, so that's good. So we're feeling a little bit of relief in that, aren't we, Jillian? But, you know, we have prayed so many rubbish men out of her life, and we've seen prayer change the course of her destiny. So I want us for a moment or two, who are the people that you're standing in the gap for tonight? Maybe it's friends, maybe it's family, maybe it's children, aunts and uncles, whatever. I just believe Holy Spirit's going to bring one name to mind. If there's a whole lot, just take the first. And we're just going to agree together. And believe that because prayer changes things, because God's character and nature is the same yesterday, today, and forever, because he invites us to come and partner with him, warts and all, in all our imperfections, that eternity can be changed because we stopped and we prayed. Will you believe with me? Father, tonight we bring these ones before you, family, friends, neighbors, children, workmates, flatmates, fellow students, whatever it might be. And God, we just stand in the gap for them. Lord, we kneel in the gap for them tonight. And Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, in a way that we can't completely understand. Lord, that you would make a way for them to come to know you. Father, not only would they come to know you, but the generations that follow them would come to know you as well. Lord, that see whole families, whole households come to faith in Jesus' name. We pray it in the authority of the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's awesome. Thank you for joining me. That's great. The second thought I want to share with you tonight in the remaining 55 seconds, might just stretch those a little bit, um, is that Yahweh comes, Jesus comes as Yahweh to show us the way. You know, sometimes I find people and they say to me, you know, there are lots of different ways to come to know Jesus. We had a lovely um, Mormon lady, didn't we, being baptized. She's no longer a Mormon lady, a Christian lady who used to be a Mormon, being baptized at North, Rosa Turner North this morning. It was amazing. And just the light and the freedom, 
you know, the, on her face. And sometimes people say to me, Michael, look, it doesn't matter how you come to God. There are lots of different roads up the mountain. You know, whether you're a, a Mormon or whether you're a Baha'i or whether you're Islamic, it doesn't matter. It's the same God that we're meeting at the top. And I like what John Mark Comer says. He says, the problem is those people are going up the mountain and there's a, there's a deity on top, but it's not a Christian deity. You know, if you're climbing up a mountain and you're an Islamic person, then there's a God on top, but it's not Jesus on top. And we need to remember this scripture um, in Matthew chapter 6 and verses 9 to 10 when Jesus was teaching the disciples to pray. He said, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done as it is. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why did he pray that? Get them to pray that. Because God's will is not being done as it is in heaven yet. There's that clash of the kingdoms. You know, the kingdom is here, but not yet here in all of its fullness. There's suffering. There's sadness, there's loss. Is anyone living, you know, in a, in a world where there's no suffering, there's no loss, there's no sadness? Put up your hand because you're probably dead. Um, <laughs> and we'll need to, I don't know, carry you out and resurrect you or something. You know, that's part of our, our current experience, isn't it? But we are to be those that bring heaven to earth. We're to step in the gap and bring something more of God's kingdom from heaven to earth. You know, God is not weak. In the universe that God's chosen, He's chosen love to be the highest value, and love demands choice, and choice demands freedom. Evil is a byproduct of the freedom that God has built into the fabric of the universe of which love is the highest value. That's why there is suffering. We're not robots. God gives us a free will to choose, and that means to choose for him or against him. But in the midst of that, we're to bring something more of heaven to earth. I want to encourage you, when you come to prayer, to be honest about your prayer, to be angry, to be frustrated, to come as you are, not to bring a sanctified kind of prayer, but to come and to, and to bear your heart before God. I've got some more stories, but I haven't got time for all of them, but just one that I'm going to share is um, I remembered when our daughter was, she would jump out of windows and she was living rough in the streets in abandoned buildings. And um, I just remember through that time how hard it was and just thanks to Pastor Sheridan and Pastor Jan and others who stood with us through that time. But we learned what it was. You've got to make a decision. You know, when you're going through it and life is tough, you've got to get to that place where you say, it is tough, but I'm going to get up again and I'm going to fight for this daughter. I'm going to fight the battle. The devil's not going to win. The enemy's come to kill, to rob, to steal and destroy. But you know, God has overcome. What do you do when you're painting your house, two-story house and a scaffolding, you look through your window and you see your daughter just gnawing away at her wrists with a craft knife? You know, it comes a time when you've got to get down off the scaffolding. You've got to go and sit down with her and do the journey of life with her. You've got to pray. You've got to believe God. You've got to stand in the gap if you want to see, you know, this, this wonderful child of God that we've been entrusted with achieve her full potential. And your life's no different from Jillian and mine. Where are the areas that you need to come? Don't come sanctified. Don't come with it all together. Don't think you're going to be perfect because it's not going to happen this time of eternity. Come angry. Come frustrated. Come lost. Come hurting. Bear your heart before God and believe that God will make a difference in the midst of your circumstances. I got so frustrated one time when we were looking for her, and I'll finish with this story. If we could have the um, band come back, that would be great. And um, we'd been looking for Catherine for a few days, and I found her around the back of an abandoned building, and um, this guy came up to me and offered me a bottle of flame. I looked it up. You can still buy flame. Made by D, uh, D. 
DB breweries. It used to be, the, I think, one of the cheapest, nastiest beers you could find that street kids used to drink. They offered me a bottle of flame. I was just so angry. I just smashed it on the ground and walked away. And I'm getting in my car and about to drive home, and I just felt the Holy Spirit saying, Michael, that was rude. You go and buy him another dozen beer. I thought, I'm sure that's not me, you know. <laughs> One, it's going to cost me money, and two, I'm not in a good frame of mind. And so I was driving home. I just couldn't drive home. I had to turn around, drive back into Wellington, go into New World or whatever, buy a dozen flame. It took me another two hours to find this guy. I walked up to him and said, mate, I'm so sorry. I was rude. I was so angry at my daughter. Here's a dozen beer. And then I just walked away. Gillian, Gillian, you know, Jesus and Gillian are quite close in my thinking. (laughs) Catherine said to me years later, she said, Dad, you know when you went and you gave that guy a dozen flame, He said to me, what was your father doing? And Catherine said, oh, he does crazy things sometimes. He's a bit religious. (laughs) You know, there were situations like that, maybe not that extreme, where Holy Spirit just prompts you to do something, just prompts you to stand in the gap, to pray for someone, to sow a seed. I encourage you to do that because it could change their life and it could change the destiny of those who follow them.